Welcome to the Seattle Public Library's podcasts of author readings and library events, a series of readings, performances, lectures, and discussions. Library podcasts are brought to you by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation. To learn more about our programs and podcasts, visit our website at www.spl.org. To learn how you can help the Library Foundation support the Seattle Public Library, go to foundation.spl.org. The podcast you are about to hear was recorded in 2010. Welcome, Seattle, to episode four of the Biblio Cafe, brought to you by the Seattle Public Library. My name is Craig, and I am joined today by three other librarians. Uh, I'm Linda, and I am drinking a non-fat latte. I'm Beth, and in honor of being from the Midwest, and in honor of the book which is set in the Midwest, I'm drinking black coffee. I'm Jen. I'm also having a non-fat latte. Today we are going to be talking about uh, one book, Freedom, by uh, Jonathan Franzen. This is a book that has been getting a lot of press. It's been called The Great American Novel by Esquire and The Telegraph. And, of course, after someone calls it that, it's gotten a lot of backlash. Oprah has picked it for her last book club, and if you remember, uh, there was a whole brouhaha last time she picked the corrections for her book club. And to the surprise of many, it was dissed for the National Book Award. So uh, it getting all this controversial attention, we thought it'd be interesting to devote a segment to this, to this book. This is a book about an American family. It's about politics. It's about uh, idealism and, and the crushing of that idealism. Um, and it's also about affairs. It's about poop. Uh, it's about sex. There's a little bit of rock and roll in it. What did you guys think? How, how did, the, how did the, the press of it sort of initially uh, affect your view of it? I was so excited for this novel to come out. I was number three on the library hold list, and I ended up actually reading it on on the Nook, though. But even though I'm someone who loves author gossip, I stayed away from reading any reviews or any gossip about the book before I read it. So I had no idea what I was walking into, except that I really liked the corrections ten years ago. I, I also like the corrections, and I think I was probably number four on the wait list at the library. Um, I, was, I was disappointed after I read it, uh, and because of all the press, the good press, I made a point of searching for a review that wasn't very good, and I found one that just summed up everything I thought about the book. It was in the October issue of The Atlantic by, uh, by Myers, and after he wrote the review, there are lots of comments of people trashing his review of it, so it really summed it up for me. And uh, I actually picked it up because of Facebook. I saw a bunch of publishing friends of mine and and bookie friends all say, oh, it made me cry, and I have not read the corrections. I also didn't read the corrections, mainly because uh, everybody seemed to love it so much that I felt like I didn't, I didn't need to love it. Like, it's, it's karmic due was pretty much over the, over the top there. And uh, I ended up reading this one just because 
no one seemed to be able to agree on whether they liked it or not, and that was that was intriguing to me. So, the book centers around a family, a mother and father, Patty Berglund and Walter Berglund. They have uh, two kids, Joey and Jessica. And the first chapter, I remember reading when it was first published in The New Yorker, and uh, was pretty intrigued by it. I think the first chapter is is a fabulous, fabulous first chapter. Um, and it kind of reminded me of the first chapter of uh, Invisible Man. Not that it had the same themes, but that it was really, it really set the tone for the book. It sort of was a summary of the book and sort of the launching point of the book. And really, I thought, it was the best part of the book. I really related to this book because I am also from the Midwest, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. I was in school in the 60s. But in the 70s, it, it just didn't ring true that, that people would be acting like that. Yeah, I think it was just all the, all the things that just didn't seem believable to me. And the characters that were so unsympathetic um, really, really set the tone at the very beginning. When they're in college, so it's Patty as a jock, and she's on a basketball scholarship to the University of Minnesota. And I really liked the jock part of it. And I think Jen and I talked about that earlier, too. And I'm not a jock, but I thought um, seeing that side of her was fascinating. And then Walter's at, in school at McAllister, and they seem like such opposites. Again, it seems like them getting together is going to be so fascinating and grounded but it's not it's just kind of they just kind of fall into it a lot of times people just kind of fall into their situation and and inaction is the word of the day right they just kind of go along with the easiest or the the path of least resistance which I found disappointing often watching these characters was almost like uh, watching someone play Pashenko Pashenko being that uh, Japanese game that's in bars where you drop a ball in the top slot there's a whole bunch of uh, little bumpers and stuff and it kind of like falls via gravity and knocks around and you hopefully win some tickets or something uh, and and watching these characters uh, they they did they didn't seem to make choices they seemed to only react and react against what they uh, what other characters wanted them to do which is interesting because, of course, this is a book called Freedom. And, you know, one wonders whether this is the commentary that Franzen is trying to make. Were there, were there moments of the book that you really liked? And what were some moments that you didn't like? There are definitely passages that I liked. And they were... The things I liked were not necessarily the characters, but definitely the writing. This is a book for someone who loves language and just the way the construction of a sentence or the way words are put together. And if you're that kind of a reader, this is totally your kind of book. Yeah, I I think my favorite part was, again, that first chapter, and I I love the jock, all the jock stuff. I found it utterly fascinating. I felt like I was almost watching National Geographic, like getting inside (laughs) someone's brain. And all of the, like, respect she had and, and for her uh, teammates and the, the level she held herself to physically and mentally to compete, that was her real family. I felt like it was almost like once she got a family with kids and a husband, it was almost anticlimactic. Her real family seemed to be in high school and in college. Um, I also felt the language was a, it was interesting to read a lot of his construction and his sentences, but I felt like the dialogue... It all seemed kind of like the same character, even though they had different names. 
Um, what was most memorable to you? And I think I know what you're going to say. And I hope you speak loudly because we're in a cafe. And uh, <laughs> as the as as the book progresses, uh, in the in the first chapter, we we find out that the son Joey, when he I believe he's like fourteen or fifteen, pretty young, pretty young ends up uh, having an affair with the uh, daughter uh, of, of of a woman next door. Who's also thirteen. Who's also thir- yeah, she's like a year younger or a year year older. Um, and uh, her name's Connie, and so Joey and Connie have start having this uh, pretty uh, inappropriate uh, sexual relationship at a very young age, and it causes all sorts of distress in the Berglund household, and sort of gets the whole book in motion. Really, just that conflict. It's weirdly grown up; like they move in together. Right, right, exactly. They grow up at like, or they move in together at sixteen, and. Joey is a rebellious uh, conservative in a liberal household, kind of the uh, Michael J. Fox character of Family <laughs> Ties, and uh, and so, uh, but Joey when he goes to college and he he's chasing after this other girl who's rich and beautiful, and but he still has this tie to Connie that he's not quite sure why, and they end up getting secretly married, and as he's staying in New York City. Uh, about to go on a trip down to uh, Argentina um, to visit this this really beautiful Jewess. He is talking to Connie on the telephone, and he's got like his wedding ring, which he doesn't usually wear, in his mouth, and he's he's sort of tonguing the finger hole of the, of the wedding ring, and uh, and then he as, 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 they're, as they're having phone sex, right, and uh, and he accidentally swallows it. He accidentally swallows his wedding ring, and uh, and then of course you know he's got to pass the wedding ring, which he does in Argentina in this really wonderful pooping scene that was was probably the most uh, descriptive and uh, best written section of the entire book, in which he's rummaging around in his newly laid turds and the smell of it and everything. It was you know it was it was really it was really quite wonderful. On, on that note, I, mean, <laughs> I think we, Which note is that? Well, the, the brown note. Digging around note that um, the Club of Rome is mentioned in this book, and I thought it was a fake thing. It's a, it's a group of intellectual scientists and economic economists, economists uh, and they 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 talk They're about Malthusian. over They're yeah, like Thomas right. Malthus, Victorian era great die-off like there's only a certain capacity on this earth for humans and when we pass it something bad has to happen like famine or something which I found really funny because we're listening and and watching the lives of these people who are kind of I mean not specimens of the people we probably want to have populate in the earth they're the ones that don't really do anything and they're the ones that bounce around and kind of react so hmm, Linda had another reaction to the the poop scene. Oh, the poop, the poop scene was actually... <laughs> getting back to the poop. Getting, getting back to, back the poop, to poop. poop. Um, and there was a poop scene in the corrections. Oh. Um, a different, a di- different spin on it. The uh, father. <laughs> oh, well, I just thought, I thought with when Joey's talking on the phone, he has his ring in his mouth, it was so obvious that what was going to happen and that there was going to be this poop scene coming up <laughs> and I, I usually enjoy things like that 
but it just was too obvious. But looking back on it, it, it fit really well with who Joey, Joey was. And it's one of the best scenes for a revealing character in the whole book. I agree, yeah. Well, part of my objection to the book was the constant vulgarity, and, and every time someone was turned on, we had to have a description of what was going on in their pants. But, but yeah, uh, you liked the But poop I loved scene. the poop scene. It was, <laughs> it was deliberately comic, uh, comic relief, and, uh, and yeah, I thought the vulgarity there served a purpose. Yeah, the sex was really weird. It seemed like uh, all the sex scenes were very elaborately written. They were very, um, the phone sex scenes especially were just very, I don't know, surreal, dolly painting kind of weird. And I don't know, it didn't seem like the people that were having sex liked each other. Like, I was talking about that early this morning with someone. Like, the, 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 there's affairs in the book. And two of the people having an affair don't even like each other the first time they meet. And they don't get together the first time because they don't like each other. And then later on they have this affair and I just don't see any of the attraction actually existing. It's like, what is your impetus for doing this? You know, we're holding back a lot here because we don't want to give too much of the plot away. But there's so much to talk about in this book. And I, I, I will say it's not my favorite book of the year by far. But it would be a great book group book. It would be a great going out to the bar, talking with friends book. There's a lot to discuss here. Yeah. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is from the Washington Post. A review there said that freedom is big enough and thoughtful enough to engage and irritate an enormous number of readers. (laughs) And it's 546 pages. There's a lot you could explore when talking about this book. Oh, and reading on the Nook was crazy. I had totally lost sense of time and space. When you're reading the Nook, you don't have that physical, like, oh, I'm three-fourths the way through the book. You see a little bar on the bottom, which kind of helps, but... But not as much. And you also don't... The page numbers don't change every time you turn a page. There's this weird limbo where you're on a page for a few pages, and... I think that really contributed to my sense of feeling like the book was kind of never-ending in the middle. It, mm. it definitely seemed like a... That could be for me, too. Yeah. Because I re- also read it on the neck. Yeah. I was wondering uh, how the reading experience itself could be different. Like, one of the things that I like to do when I read a book is I like to, before I even start, I like to thumb through it. I like to see how many chapters there are. Is it split up into parts? Do the chapters have headings? Are there, like, sub-chapters? It just gives a, a, a feel for the architecture of the book, you know. Would you say it's a much more linear experience? It's way more, in the more linear. I, I feel like, and I was talking to another Nook reader, John, um, about the immediacy of reading on the Nook. It's, re- it's really intense. It's an intense reading experience. You feel like it's almost going to disappear. Um, and sometimes it's going to if you've only got checked out for 21 days. <laughs> um, but yeah, it feels very immediate. It feels like um, almost like a dire situation that you have to keep reading and you don't really know where your place is and you're just stuck on this one point kind of floating in space. And I, I kind of like that. I've enjoyed the books I've read and I feel like I'm reading different books on the Nook. Like I'm not a big mystery reader, but I just read a mystery and I loved it on the Nook. It was very, I don't know, kind of exciting. Did you did you feel like you missed have, like being able to feel where you were in the book based on the weight, like the balance of the pages on either side of the spine? For me, it was it was wonderful. It was such a huge book, and there were huge huge parts of it that I wasn't that interested in, <laughs> especially in, in the middle when they're they're oh, talking Argentina. about Argentina oh, and population Argentina. and strip mining. And, 
and all that. So it was easier to, to flip through it. I, I think it would be interesting to try to listen to the book, too. I find that a more intense experience. So, Linda, you mentioned that you would definitely recommend this book to book clubs. Uh, who else Who else would you recommend this book to? Definitely the readers we talk to who, when they talk about books, talk about the writing and, and language. Um, might be easier to even think of who I wouldn't uh, yeah. uh, recommend it to, which would be someone who reads for story and character. Uh, but definitely if if you want to get immersed in a big novel with great language, sort of an epic family falling apart story. And uh, I think I would recommend this. I think last time we talked about it, someone brought up uh, War and Peace is the one I was actually going for, though. It was War is and it Peace. A of War it's and almost, Peace? yeah, is it a parody of War and Peace? I would recommend it to younger readers who have read War and Peace or who have heard about War and Peace but don't feel like dealing with old stuff. You know, there's some readers, especially young 20s maybe that just hate reading about old things and they want something new and current and even though these characters are older than the 20s they definitely I think would be attractive there's definitely current events happening in there it's very up to date it's very in the now so especially since Franzen talks about war and peace throughout the entire book yeah you just feel like does he think he's as good as Tolstoy (laughs) you know and I would recommend it to people who like literary controversy mm-hmm. uh, you know if you like to keep up with uh, those sorts of debates and discussions you know just the other day uh, on our catalog I read a review from a Seattle Public Library patron who just loved the book just thought it was the bee's knees so just because one person doesn't like the book doesn't mean another person won't like the book what else would you recommend for readers who have just finished the corrections and uh, or sorry, freedom, <laughs> and they want they want to read something else. Well, if they liked freedom, first I'd make sure that they knew about had read the corrections. I think Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates would be a good one. Um, again, because of beautiful writing, and it's devastating what happens to this family. And if someone wants something not quite as heavy or dysfunctional, uh, and more contemporary is The Lonely Polygamist by Brady Udall. Well, the thing I liked about this book was the, the fact that it had some political content and it had dysfunctional family. And there are a couple books that I could recommend that would be much better examples of those <laughs> themes. Um, the Man Who Loved Children by by. Christina Stead is uh, a wonderful book that was written in the four, in 1940, set in the 30s, the same kind of social, socially uh, delicate era, era, era as much more so than the 70s and 80s, I thought. Um, another one would be American Pastoral by Philip Roth, which is an, a story uh, where the father is the, is the main character, and um, it also deals with the social era of the 60s um, and the children and the father. And, uh, Didn't that, that you have some connection between Franzen and the, mm-hmm. um, the man who loved children? Right. Interestingly, uh, Franzen wrote an essay uh, early in the summer last year, way before his book came out, about the man who loved children oh. in Christina Stead in the New York Times. And so it was interesting that Franzen wrote this essay about how wonderful The Man Who Loved Children was, so you would expect his book to have been as wonderful. (laughs) 
Um, Touche. <laughs> um, I feel like I've been reading a lot of books with like schmucky guys, schmucky guys in them. That's all I can say. And there's definitely Walter becomes schmucky, and he chases after young women. And so, I think if I had um, someone who liked this and wanted more modern, up to the date books, I would recommend uh, Sam, Sam Lipsight's The Ask or uh, Gary Steingart's Super Sad True Love Story, um, which is now and in the future. Um, if someone didn't like this book, I right after I finished this, I read Tom Rockman's The Imperfectionist, which I loved. Uh, it was so beautiful. It was these short stories about reporters living uh, abroad, and I just felt it, it embraced um, sentiment. And this um, freedom is all about you know this modern new wave anti-sentiment, sentimental, anti-sentimentalism, intellectualism. And I felt like The Imperfectionist was just the exact opposite. It was just very sweet and I really love those stories so and very character driven short stories yeah and uh, I would recommend whether you liked freedom or dislike freedom uh, I would recommend the new Lydia Davis translation of uh, Flaubert's uh, Madame Bovary and I've been reading that now and it's wonderful Lydia Davis has done a rocking good job on that translation and it really that book is really about the psychological uh, anatomy of an affair and what happens at each little point in one's mind and uh, how it affects your perceptions of the world. And so much of freedom is about these characters having affairs. And uh, in fact, it's the affairs that probably keep them together. Um, but, um, but I think Madame Bovary is the blueprint for that whole thing. And uh, there's a great new translation uh, by, by a wonderful uh, pro stylist, and uh, you'd be remiss not to jump on that bag- bandwagon as well. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this edition of Biblio Cafe, uh, Franzenfest edition. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed this podcast, and uh, please let us know what you thought of the book and of our discussion. Bye for now. <laughs> This podcast was presented by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation and made possible by your contributions to the Seattle Public Library Foundation. Thanks for listening.